Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Conversations. This is our first podcast as married people. Hey, look at that. We did it last time we <laughs> left you. It was the day of our makeshift. It was not makeshift. It was a pandemic wedding. It was a pandemic wedding. And we are now married people. It feels exactly the same as being uh, what we were before. It does. Coupled people. And we still wake up and talk about the Cosmere way That's too much. True. That's why we are here. We have just days now, really, maybe just days. That makes it sound much sooner than it is. I like to imagine a better reality than the one that actually exists. Slightly over a month, which, you know, remember years and years ago when we were like, wow, we're not going to get a Cosmere book for so long. Now it's only a, a month and like a week. Basically no time. All of you Cosmere knots out there are able to get through the drought. There's like that period if we ever want to get through Mars where you have to like journey for like multiple years to fly oh there. All of you guys have done that. You are looking at the red planet. You, The Cosmere is inside. It's right there. Rhythm of War is here. And we have a very special, super recent Word of Brandon episode. Yeah, he has been doing a bunch of YouTube live streams where he's been answering questions while he signs books, sort of in lieu of uh, being able yeah, to tour and actually see fans in person. So that's super cool. But we have a bunch of new info. So I know for myself, I always like having an opportunity to dive into some of these because it's one of the things about the Cosmere fandom that can be uh, a little bit difficult when you first start out. Not everyone has time to just watch all the live screams or scan through all of the words of Brandon. So here we are breaking some down for you. Every single one of these words of Brandon comes not only from 2020, but basically from the summer of 2020. Very recent. That also means that the chapters for Rhythm of War are out in the world. Not everyone reads them. They are released. And we have removed any questions with the exception of one. And that's just because it's not really a spoilery question. It won't really, you know, do anything for those who haven't read the first couple of chapters of Rhythm of War. And I think it's important to know going into Rhythm of War. So there's only one, but there are no spoilers for Rhythm of War in any of these words of Brandon. It's just about everything else in the Cosmere. Everything else is fair game. There might be spoilers for other books if you haven't read anything yet. I don't know how you've gotten this far in the podcast, but maybe you're jumping around. Uh, But no spoilers for Rhythm of War. And that is how we will keep it until at least a couple of weeks after Rhythm of War releases in early November. Here we go. The first one is Brandon describing the radiant powers in his own words in a very few words. So short, quick description. Yes, exactly. It's wonderful. And so I just wanted to start us off with this as Brandon's descriptions of the powers, not the orders themselves, but the powers Just that the, the orders the surges. Use. Exactly. So could we go back and forth in this one? Yeah. Adhesion allows you to bind things together. Gravitation allows you to change the direction and strength of an object's gravitational attraction, including that of yourself, which essentially gives you the power of flight. Division allows you to manipulate the rate of an object decays. Oh. Abrasion allows you to make objects, including yourself, frictionless. Progression and regrowth allows you to heal organisms and alter their growth. Illumination allows you to create illusions. Transformation allows you to soul cast objects from one material into another. Transportation allows you to travel between the cognitive and physical realms. Cohesion allows you to alter the shape of solid objects. Whoa. 
Tension allows you to alter the stiffness of objects. And that is the end. I felt like those last two are so interesting. Yes. And we could go through one by one and be like, this corresponds with this order. But I feel like those types of things exist out in the world. If you need a quick refresher, just look up the chart and that'll explain how each of these fit in. But I will remind you that cohesion is one of Dalinar's surges and tension is one of the surges of the stone wards who we believe rock may be one of or in the next book may become one of that order instead of the Windrunners. So when Dalinar, for example, like lifts up the gigantic stone. Yeah, he binds like the rocks of the temple exactly. back together. He's changing the shape of solid objects while also understanding something about connection. There's his yeah. other power going on there mm -hmm. as well because he like um, almost in a way that we see in the Emperor's soul where it's something about the stone wants to be a temple. It had yeah. been a temple for so long and uh -huh. he understood that. So Shai does something very similar and Dalinar, because of, I believe, his ability uh, to sense and understand connection is kind of doing something similar or tapping into the same, you know, power source. Yeah, it's a very similar description. Okay, so now let's go into words of Brandon. And we'll just play the questioners and Brandon kind of back and forth to try to give you an easy listening experience. And then maybe if we feel like it, throw in our own thoughts with the questions. Ready to go, Brooke? Yeah. Awesome. We're going to start with uh, YouTube live stream number 14. And this one is just a word of Brandon. No question. He said, horn eaters are capable of drinking the horn eater white. They are actually human singer hybrids like the Herdesians, but in a different line. And they have a different physiology. And they actually are not 100% human and are capable of eating and ingesting things that would kill a person. Now, we always kind of expected this because of the similarities between the horn eaters and the Herdesians. The Herdesians have things like uh, carapace-like fingernails, fingernails yeah. and some other hints that are given throughout the Stormlight Archive point us towards a human-singer hybrid, and then the two being kind of like cousins of each other. Yeah. But this is from the man himself. He's saying they are human-singer hybrids. I think we knew this before, but I thought the sort of details about their physiology was sort of an interesting thing to add to that picture yeah, and capable just like of eating and fleshing drinking it out. Yeah. yeah, like why they're called horn eaters. They are actually able, yeah, physically more able to eat things like that than a regular human would be. And I wonder what the line looked like. We obviously know that the singers were more widespread across Rashar early on. And you would imagine that pockets of them would like get hidden up in the mountains and then maybe some humans show up and do the humans merge with a willing group of singers or is it kind of like the singers are on the ropes uh, from the big wars and kind no, of merge with the I humans? No, because I think we know that there were humans who were fighting on the side of the singers yes, during so the, the desolations and like vice versa. Mm -hmm. So... You know, clearly they had they had relationships. They were probably living together in the same, you know, groups and tribes. And I imagine that it happened uh, naturally. I'm sure there was some, you know, bad war things that happened as well. But in terms of like the population of horn eaters having their own, you know, area and whatnot, they're probably just the descendants of another tribe that was a mix of singers and humans. I also thought this was interesting because Shalon drinks horn eater white and mm -hmm. she mentions that her red hair is sort of an indication of yes. a past genetic link to the horn eaters. They're, like she and Rock sort of call each other cousin. cousins. Yeah, somewhat jokingly, but like her red jokingly? hair... Her red hair is a symbol, you know, maybe it was a really long time ago. I don't think she herself is 
anywhere near being a you know human singer equal part hybrid yeah I mean, but i do wonder if that genealogy as um brandon is saying here is the thing that makes her more capable of drinking hornet or white than a regular human would be we do have to keep in mind that she was also drinking the horn eater white and then immediately Burning healing. Away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know, but still. I hear you. I hear you. And the idea about them referring to each other as cousins and that kind of affiliation that she may have or may exist is, I think, important to understanding the connections that exist across Rashar not just between the species, races. I'm so hesitant to call them different species. They do have like different physical traits, but like the, on Earth. The Are you key... talking about between humans and singers? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. And so on... I mean, yeah, I think they are different species. I think you can say that. But on Earth, it is not possible to... Or I guess there's a line where it's not possible for species to have offspring that are viable. Yeah, but sometimes they can, like a mule. So a horse and a donkey are two different species, and their offspring is a mule, but the mule itself cannot then go and have offspring. Or pregnancy is so rare that it basically doesn't happen without human intervention, which we don't need to go into discussing <laughs> what that means. However, clearly on Rashar, the offspring uh, uh, well, yeah. are viable. And so yeah. I don't think that's why I'm hesitant to say different species, because it would seem like what they are really is just like different races. Obviously, on Earth, we don't have as much physical differentiation between races. But think about dogs. Dogs do, but they're all species together. You can have a St. Bernard and a Chihuahua. Mm. That's the same species. Yeah. And they can still have viable offspring. Okay. So I feel like... So different families. Is that the next one? Oh, God. Science people don't hate me. They're definitely going to hate you. Let's just go with we believe that... Yeah. Kings play chess on fine grain sand. Nice work. Now they're going to be impressed with you. Oh, well done. You saved it. What I want to get across, though, is that there are far more connections, and we have been introduced to Rashar and the Stormlight Archive with groups that are very weirdly isolated. The Alethi and the Parshendi, kind of way on the far side of the east of the continent, are like off by themselves. And I feel like the more we learn is that everyone else is way more interconnected, with maybe the exception of the Shin. Mm, I don't know if that's true. Let's see in Rhythm of War and go on yeah, to our we'll next have question. To see how that goes. All right, next question. Ooh, a good place inspired question, which <laughs> I love. A listener or slash questioner Bayon asked how much research into philosophical work do you do before each book and what inspired you to use these in particular Kantian deontology for the Knights Radiance consequentialism for the Alethi and Teravangian and secular morality for Yasna the answer from Brandon is quote I really like when stories are not just a conflict of personality they are a conflict between ideologies and ways of viewing the world, which are all valid ways of viewing the world. When I put Teravangian and Dalinar into conflict with each other, it's because they both are looking at life in a fundamentally different way. And I'm kind of reaching to different philosophical bases for those. Why did I take what I did? They matched the characters. And they matched what I'm trying to explore. Without trying to give you the answers trying to explore theme in stories. And I just love doing that. It's what makes me excited about writing characters. End quote. And I think that is one of his strengths is his ability to portray many, many different ways of looking at the world and all in sort of a uh, compassionate way. Yeah, and I have great respect for the questioner for tying the different philosophies here on earth to characters or groups like the knights radiant i do think they they overshot uh, a little bit uh in terms of 
what philosophies line up with each character. I don't think it's quite on point, but I don't think it necessarily could be on point because they're in a different world and stuff. I do just want to keep that in mind is that it may make sense because Brandon borrowed from human philosophies, but we shouldn't say to ourselves, for example, like the Knights Radiant are Kantian deontologists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that for would, sure. Or I just think that would lead us down some uh, probably incorrect paths and probably lots of uh, philosophical fighting, which, as we know, nobody likes moral philosophers. Let's go to Valerie Jackson, who said, quote, what order of Knights Radiant did Dalinar's plate come from? End quote. And Brandon answered, I will raffo that. Let's leave that alone for now. We're not talking a lot about plate. You deserve a nice can of read and find out. We'll start talking about... We don't even really know where shard plate comes from. It's all a mystery. Was shard plate even from a knight? Even a piece of it? We don't know where it comes from. And then in parentheses, the Cosmere knots all know. They figured it out. But we're just going to pretend that they don't know. This is one of the things that we talked about in our Oathbringer reread. A lot of speculation on plate and did some of our characters manifest plate. Kaladin had some encounters with some windspren. Shallan appeared near the end as Radiant instead of Shallan, Radiant being in plate. Yasna. Well, we don't know if that's All of these things are just real. speculation. Yasna had like geometric patterns dispersing around her. Yeah. So like these questions about our secondary spren, the plate, Brandon is clearly saying, I will not confirm anything at this point. And but some the people nerds have figured it out. <laughs> are real into this theory that the lesser spren are plate. But this question from Valerie is really interesting because I didn't necessarily think that the plate came from the Knight's Radiant, but obviously did. We saw that when yeah. they, they gave up their shard plate. And I just kind of wonder what made it lock down into a solid thing. It has to be their choice, right? Like if Kaladin, let's say Yasna did manifest her plate mm -hmm. and then she dismissed it and it became those geometric yeah. spren that are moving away from her. So did the Knights Radiant in the past want their plate to stay? And so they like formed in their mind that the plate yeah, was Yeah, it's gotta solid. be the same as your shard, shard blade. blade. Yeah, agree. you can will your shard blade to stay. You can will your shard blade to go with another person. Doesn't that if bring up interesting to. questions though about like why? Why, if they were just giving up, why? Because, uh, why did they leave it? Yeah, exactly. It's such a dick move. Well, I think so. Like when someone dies, right, their blade will appear next to them in the physical realm. Their bond has been broken and their blade will, you know, just exist waiting for another person to bond it. I assume plate would be the same that if that bond is broken in some way it will manifest physically and stay in the physical realm in this case the knights radiant haven't died but they have consciously broken their bond with these items i think that's a good point i'm just curious though if we'll see more about you know the scenes that we saw with the knights radiant in the the feature stone vision. keep nice I wonder if that will come back and be reinterpreted in some ways in the future. Because it, to me, reminds me of what Dalinar and now Adolin has said multiple times, and we've talked about multiple times, that concept of why did they only lead weapons and plate for war? Where's the tools and stuff? Of course. I have a pet theory that it might just be all an elaborate trick. An elaborate ploy? Yeah, We've talked about this so many times. We And let's instead ask the questions that the people have and Brandon have given <laughs> Yeah, you don't need to, to hear more from us. <laughs> Jumping over to the San Diego Comic-Con fake version or virtual version. Fake version. <laughs> uh, this time asking about honor blades. Brandon says... Honor blades are a sliver of honor that has been manifested in physical form. 
that does mean the blade would actually be made of Tanavast's god metal. So Tanavastium, if you want to call it that. I did not want to call it that because I didn't even think about that until Brandon has now made it clear the honor blades are manifestations of Tanavast and his god metal, Tanavastium, which is so cool. Very cool. This would also probably explain why honor blades do not have the gem embedded in the hilt. Of course. That they're... The heralds didn't need them. Well, and the blades themselves have innate investiture if it's coming from Tanavast yeah. god metal. Well, and that makes sense, too, why they would give powers yeah. inherently. Very interesting to remember that on Scadrial, the metals are not the source of the power, but instead act as a key that opens a door. So mm, I think that's from a, a word of Brandon as well, right? That yes. you're quoting there? Yes. Yeah, that's interesting because it does seem like, I mean, there is something about the metal, right? Because each key is going to unlock a specific door. Oh, Each and I'm only talking about the base metal. The the god metals are fundamentally different, which is I think while they're they're not considered to be in the original metals, the list of metals mm -hmm. doesn't include the the god metals. So basically what I'm saying is that these god metals are potent on their own, but they also might serve as you know, kind of gateways or doors mm -hmm. um, to other powers that henceforth aren't known. Interesting, interesting. Ooh, and our next question is kind of on those same lines. You want to read this one? Yes, this comes from user Storm Lightning. Quote, how the heck is Nail's Spren still with him? Is his Spren as wacky as he is, or is it dead and he still carries it around? End quote. Because remember... Nalan is the only herald that has also joined, joined his, his order. own order of yes. Knights Radiant. So he has his honor blade and he also has a spren blade. And the answer is, from Brandon is, quote, Nail spren is alive. The high spren, I would say wacky is probably a decent term for them. <laughs> I would blame some of how Nail is acting more on the high spren Obviously, it's partially being a herald and all the things he's gone through, but they're all on board for this. So read that as you will, end quote. Super interesting. Very interesting. Highspren, they have some similarities to uh, Voidspren that I don't like. Uh, that, oh, you think? Well, just it's, yeah. Why is Nail's Spren, it, it's just a dichotomy that i don't quite understand why that partnership would continue to work but i think it has something to do with uh what Malata's scene in oathbringer has to tell us about how oh. all of the spren don't have to agree and can actually have like fundamental disagreements mm -hmm. about the best way to go forward mm -hmm. i i just find yeah the concept of as we were introduced to things and we keep learning more and more, it undercuts what we originally learned. And that's what I feel like Brandon does really well. He both like sets something up really well, but then makes you rethink what mm -hmm. was set up. Totally. Okay, and then along those lines, another questioner asked, the heralds seem to be insane in the ways of their divine attributes, at least somewhat. Is this because they're heralds? As cognitive shadows, they're subject to people's perception, like how Spren are? Brandon's answer, and I want to say separately, I think this is important. Great question. Yeah. Brandon's answer, quote, that's a very astute question. And yes, that is influencing them quite a bit. I'm doing something here with the Heralds. Like, I want the Heralds' madness, as we call them, to be magical diseases. And the contrast of something like Kaladin's depression, which I'm trying to treat very real world. I'm trying to treat them as these things that couldn't exist in our world. They are fantastical mental diseases, like we have fantastic 
physical diseases in Elantris. So I did make them thematic, and I would say part of the reason for that is people's perception of them and their mental state reacting against that. And that should be a theme among all of the heralds, end quote. So interesting, because we have talked um, in the last couple of episodes about the nature of the heralds' madness and like what exactly we think it is. So I love that Brandon confirmed that it is magical. And we have talked, I can't remember if we've talked both on mic, but I know we have talked off mic about uh, how it may have something to do with like their cognitive essence and something uh, being changed there as they are being imagined by all of the people on Rashar. Yeah, this the kind of feedback loop mm-hmm. that exists because they are weird in several aspects. Uh, but one is that they are closer to something like Kelsier, a yeah. cognitive shadow that exists on the physical realm, than they are normal mortals. They're separate. And I think that Brandon makes that clear here. He's saying, you know, Kaladin is dealing with a real world depression. We'll talk a little bit later about Shallan uh, dealing with dissociative identity disorder. Um, And those are real world, whereas the heralds are having magical mental illnesses. I feel like that is both cool because it allows them to match the theme and their personalities and stuff. And I also feel like it doesn't trap him in some ways Mm -hmm. as well of like, well, that actually isn't a good representation of X mental (laughs) disorder. And just be like, That's not what we're going for here. Totally. Do you want me to read this next one? Yeah, go for it. From the questioner, quote, if a Radiant uses an honor blade or binds a second spren, could they get new abilities slash resonance points by having access to surges that aren't usually combined? Answer from Brandon. Brandon says, yes, they could indeed. What? Yeah. So that brings us back to Nail. If... Someone like Nail is able to have both a spren blade and an honor blade, or you could imagine like Zeth doing this as well. Mm-hmm. What the heck? They would have like powers we have never seen and can't imagine. Well, and I love that the questioner was good enough to also include resonance points because yeah. resonance points are the thing that we don't really understand and it's just kind of existing in the they background. They haven't been right fully now. fleshed out. We know that they're real and that it's not an imagination of all of us, but they have not been fleshed out in the same way that we went through the whole list at the beginning of this episode. But resonance points exist in betwixt different powers in a Rasharian sense, different surges. And we've also speculated, you know, back in our Cosmere cage match days, what would happen if powers from one planet gets onto a different planet. And to me, this just keeps setting up more and more powerful collisions uh, about like what happens if a person from let's say, Nalthus is holding an honor blade and they have a lot of breasts or a Mistborn or a Misting, like, you know, Wax and Wayne. If they're holding an honor blade, what does that do? I mean, even more basically, what about Venli? Since Venli has a light spren and a void spren, like, is she going to have some crazy void powers too. She Can should. she use them like without being evil? Or if she uses them, does that mean she's like being controlled by the void spren? Who knows? We actually should see a lot more of Venli pretty soon. Days. Oh my gosh. Okay, to take a short tangent into Fabrials, next question is... Can other Fabrials, such as the one that takes away pain and the one that offers regrowth, cause some sort of savanthood? Brandon's response, quote, those, I'll explain the distinction in Rhythm of War. I get deep into the Fabrial science. There is a big distinction between those Fabrials and soul casters that will become manifest. Let's say that what happens to soul casters is more likely to cause savanthood and the side effects. End quote. 
I'm mostly just excited that we're going to get deep into the Fabrial science. Super important. It brings us some more Navani and obviously some more Yasna, but also more of, you know, the group that went to Amia. And oh my gosh. Yeah, because there, I mean, there are so many things from Oathbringer that we haven't talked about at all because there is just too much. But that whole interlude about the soulcaster going to Amia. Yeah, we get a whole chapter from her perspective, which just brings up so many questions about soul casting and like what exactly is happening there. And this kind of feeds back into the previous question about abilities and resonance points as well, because Savathood is another thing that we have explored a little bit. We know it's real, but we don't know what's the full potential slash repercussions of savanthood we see it most in spook yeah dealing with it but we've also had hints that waxillium is at this point uh savant like or is on his way to being you savant like yeah but we don't need to go off too much into random speculation however i just believe that after rhythm of war if we have a better understanding of what causes that I don't know, manifestation of the material that you're soul casting mm, to like start mm-hmm. taking over your body. Mm-hmm. And then what are the what are the benefits of that? Do you get any benefits? It seems like you would I don't know. That soul caster was pretty into it. So yeah. yeah, and like one of them, the people who like made air, the they started to like turn to wisp and like yeah. float away and they it was a release to them. It was like re- joining the one kind of or nirvana type of thing and so there's a bunch more that we need to learn about soul casters and based on just the cover of rhythm of war i'm guessing we're gonna need a lot more shades mark seems like it let's jump over to another youtube live stream the questioner says quote i know people who relate a lot to shalon's arc due to how similar her personalities are to dissociative identity disorder did you intentionally write her to be recognizable did and brandon said essentially i'm going to paraphrase because it was kind of long yes he did intend her to have did but when he first started writing the books he didn't want to like completely dive into that and like really commit to it because he wanted to make sure that he was doing a good portrayal of it. And he knew that he was going to need to do a lot more research and get feedback from people who either have DID or know people who have DID in order to uh, portray it in a realistic and respectful way. And that didn't happen until Oathbringer, which is why in Oathbringer, he like really committed to it and, um, and did that portrayal. And I really appreciated this word of Brandon because uh, as we've talked about in our last couple episodes about Oathbringer, I felt a little bit confused about whether it was really supposed to be a portrayal of DID, which is the more contemporary name for multiple personality disorder. And so it's nice to have that confirmation. Also nice to understand why I was confused about it because Brandon was kind of confused about it also what i also appreciate about how brandon wrote this is knowing that he wasn't going to do a deep dive and didn't want to bring in too much of like a real mental illness he picked the thing and then portrayed it in a perfect way uh, for what he was doing with shallan which was the memory gaps it is a common aspect of people who have did that they have memory gaps that the person you're talking to in the present will have gaps in their memory because that's when the other personalities had influence i also thought i did a little bit of deeper research about did to like google foo yeah to understand it um and i learned that it is a common not a common reaction but Many people who have DID uh, have childhood trauma. 90% of cases that are in the clinical or studied phase with uh, you know some type of expert 
are reporting childhood trauma. And that lines up with so Shalon perfectly. That totally, yeah, totally lines up with Shalon. What I think is most interesting as well is that the actual disorder is very rare. This is not a common disorder. But the way that we think about mental illnesses today, which is different than the way people did in the past, is that it's not a on-off switch. Mm. Lots of people have a feeling of dissociation or losing a grip on their identity. Maybe if you're doing a, a lot of psychedelic drugs, uh, you can force this to happen. But people have it in stressful situations without going as far as the kind of horror yeah. that Shalon sees. Yeah. And so I do think that's why this questioner has hit upon something that a lot of people are relating to Shalon because they feel similarities. You don't have to be as extreme as Shalon to yeah. be experiencing well, this type of... Um, it's it's a reaction to trauma, basically, and that's yeah. How and I think we've we've talked in the past on the podcast about uh, you know, the the more run of the mill version of this that you know m- more people have probably experienced is just the way that we uh, access different parts of ourselves in different situations. The way that you are, you know, a different version of you at mm-hmm. work than you are with your spouse. And you're a different person with your friends. You know, you access a different part of yourself when you're maybe with your sports friends versus your book friends, you know. So we all have that experience, which uh, is just a tiny little baby version of the very extreme thing that Shalon and others experience. And I think it can go further. I just love this idea that we're always experiencing these types of things. People often remark on how they got into the car at work and drove home. Oh, and, and they like, don't like remember they how they the got time. home. They had a memory gap, right? Now, in the, that instance, you're not having another personality take over. <laughs> you're just having no personality take over. It's just a robot. The robot that gets you from your work <laughs> to your home. And then you turn your brain back yeah, on yeah. and you become you again. <laughs> uh, but those types of memory gaps is exactly what Shalon is in text experiencing where just she just jumps more over intense yes, fashion exactly yeah. and relating to her trauma but i just i love this idea that a all of our characters regardless of how they are manifesting it i think most of our characters especially in the stormlight archive are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and it's all different types of manifestations mm-hmm. but it is at its base post-traumatic stress you've had trauma and you are now after that experiencing stress and so it's a really interesting thing that brandon does to connect people Mm -hmm. to something that is so far away you know an alien planet an alien world (laughs) but they're experiencing things in the way that we do as well and as you're saying like the uh variety of ways that that experience can happen I know for a long time, I thought that PTSD was only experienced by soldiers, which, you know, Dalinar is that version of PTSD. Yes, the but hard then, drinking, you know, veteran. Yeah, mm-hmm. But then you also have Shalon, who has, you know, difficult family life that gives her PTSD. Kaladin is, I think, a good example of the way that poverty and that kind of stress mm-hmm. affects someone growing up in like not a great classism place. Yeah, classism gives you a version of PTSD that Kaladin obviously is still carrying around with him. That's a really interesting point. And I do feel like we could keep doing dives into the psychology or psychological aspects of different characters. And I think that's really cool because it means that Brandon has created people that feel real and, and he obviously from this answer like he takes that so seriously and really takes pains to do the work and make sure that he is not just making things up but that he gets input from people in those communities and i'm sure that there are other creators and authors that could take a example or learn from brandon's example that would be great let's go to a very simple question Asked by Chroma, quote, if 
Erythiru was real, would you live in it? End quote. Brandon says no. That seems like a smart thing. Brandon actually has a follow-up question. Maybe we'll just jump to it. Uh, but Brandon's, Brandon's a real thinker in the idea <laughs> that he knows what he likes and is not all about the craziness. Uh, I want to. I just thought. I thought like, wow, if Brandon doesn't want to live in Erythiru, like, what's wrong with it? Everything. I feel like that's so telling. Maybe no. I'm just reading way too much into it. Let me bring in this other. Okay. Aspect. Okay. So this is uh, asked by Lauren. She says, "Quote: If you found yourself as an apprentice in the Cosmere, who would you like as a mentor figure, and why?" End quote. Great question, Lauren. It is a great question, and Brandon's answer I think ties back in to how he doesn't want to be around anything that's going on in the Cosmere. <laughs> like he very much seems happy with his bird living in, I think he lives in Utah. Yeah. Uh, he's got his kids, yeah, his exactly. wife, his bird. He seems to like that quite a bit. <laughs> he says, oh boy, who would I like as a mentor figure and why? I would probably pick someone boring in Silverlight because I do not necessarily want to be involved in the great workings of the Cosmere because there's a lot of danger involved in that. <laughs> I would stay far away from Hoyd. Chris Ooh. would not be bad, but she gets into a lot of dangerous situations, and I'm not sure that I would recommend letting her get you into those situations. Uh, so, yeah, you know, uh, there you go. Vasher, definitely right out. Don't be near Vasher <laughs> if you value not getting your soul sucked into a dangerous black sword. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not sure if I could come up with a name. If I have to name somebody that is going to be named, maybe... The Stim, you know, he was a good mentor and he traveled a lot, but he was really careful. Granted, he did have an apprentice jump off a great shell and break her back, but that was more her fault than his. That's true. I think he would take really good care of an apprentice Aww. and he knows his way around. So he's a pretty good mentor. That's a great answer, actually. I would be the Stim's mentee. I want to hang out with Yim, obviously. Me and Yim will just be Yim cobblers. Yim is dead. Well, I'm saying before that. And then I would run away and he would like, maybe the light spren could come join me after. <laughs> so your plan is to not have a mentor because he would die. I'm saying I want to be a cobbler apprentice under <laughs> Yim before the events of this. As Brandon said, if you're around the events of this stuff, it's dangerous. I don't I don't want to be anywhere near that. Me it's and true. Brandon just... Could I be just like one of Navani's like Fabriel scientists just like working under her? You can pick anyone. But again, that puts you like on the front lines. I'd get the hell out of that area. <laughs> unless, again, you're going to become a radiant. Basic, unless you're a superhero, you don't want to be anywhere on this planet. It's very dangerous. Now we're going to move over to Reddit. Question from Harrowworthy. Just had a question. When a returned consumes a breath, is it property of their body that does so or the divine breath itself? And then they go on to ask basically if a hemallergist took a divine breath and spiked themselves with it, would they still need to consume a breath every week or would they like be good to go? Brandon's response, quote, that's a very interesting question. The thing that requires the return to continue gaining investiture is their nature as cognitive shadows. They are dead and, in this case, need a power source to continue persisting in the physical realm. The divine breath is part of this. Imagine the divine breath as the thing that infuses their soul, making it persist initially and then sticks to the body. So if you stole it, like by a hemallergist, but you yourself were not in need of being kept alive, I would say that you wouldn't need to be fed a new breath each week to maintain the divine breath. End quote. Now what I found interesting about this was twofold. A, again, returned cognitive shadows, far more similar to a Kelsier than regular mortals at this point. We keep seeing more and more of those aspects and playing bigger roles. I want us to keep in mind that Vasher is a returned, so he's a dead cognitive shadow. Being kept alive now by Stormlight 
instead of by a breath. So he didn't use the like hemorrhagic trick to keep someone else. He around. just went to Rashar. Exactly. <laughs> Far more efficient if you can just get to Rashar. I've heard it's difficult, but if you can do it, it seems to work out great there. And what I also liked is this concept of the divine breath, the gift from endowment being like the spark that either brings back or keeps the cognitive shadow from moving on into the the next, the great spirit realm. Yeah, it's like their battery, sort of. And we talked about this when we did our Warbreaker reread, but it seems like the returned were really only supposed to be around for a, a week, week. Yeah. To like do the thing that they needed to do and then move on. So they have this like one week battery that endowment like returns them with and is like, all right, here you go. But instead of letting their battery just run out, they keep plugging themselves in to like recharge essentially. That's a great way to think about it. Let's go to user Yatsu who asks, Quote, are there any deserts on Rashar? And if so, could the white sand organism spread? Just imagining how sand mastery might possibly migrate to Rashar. Interesting. Brandon's response. The white sand organism could spread on Scadriel and on any planet, but it would need investiture to do so. It would be easier for it to spread on Rashar, for example, because of the storms. So we know that the sand... In white, drew, sand. in white sand there we go very uh <laughs> roundabout way of phrasing things but the sand is coated with a microorganism that it is picked up by the sand monsters i forget they have a specific name but the sand monsters basically eat sand and then excrete out the sand now with a microorganism on it and that microorganism is the thing that holds investiture, which then the sand masters can manipulate. That was just a very long way of saying it could get to Rashar, and it could get to every planet. And this is why the microorganisms are the most important very part of the Very interesting. Cosmere. Yeah, because as a microorganism, it has a high likelihood of spreading. Spreading, exactly. <laughs> without knowledge of anyone or anything. Yeah, I mean, we see this all the time on Earth island nations or even just island states like hawaii have huge problems with people bringing stuff over like on their shoes and on their clothes on planes and well back in the before days when people were able to fly uh people are traveling with millions and millions billions of microorganisms on themselves at all times and if you're a delicate environment you may struggle to deal with that because the microorganisms from white sand seem pretty cool. Like you get sand mastery. That's not bad. But the microorganisms from Threnody create zombie shades. Well, we don't know if that's true. And I true. don't want that to spread. No, that's my, my theory, though, that it's created by uh, microorganisms there, too. Let's go on to user. Zuper Zubs. Great name. Uh, asks... Hi, Brandon. Just to double check my understanding of things, Odium is still mostly bound on Braze, right? Just that he can influence things on Rashar because of proximity? Brandon's response, quote, I treat Braze, Ashen, and Rashar as if they were almost in one entity for a lot of identity slash connection related issues. It's more than proximity, though. Proximity does lead to it. We on Earth, I feel, would consider the moon and even Mars to be ours, so to speak, part of our family of planets. Odium's binding and that of the heralds fused encompasses Rashar and Ashen. There are some subtle distinctions, but for the most part, being bound on Braze is the same as being bound on Rashar, end quote. Yeah, and I think we hear uh, in the letters that he is bound to the system. So he can't leave this specific uh, solar system. This, of course, makes a lot of sense, but it is good to have it clear and... Yeah, explicitly stated. Yeah, you because I think there was early speculation that maybe Odium was weaker than like a cultivation because he was on a different planet mm. and cultivation was on Rashar. Mm -hmm. And so maybe she had like an upper hand that we didn't know about. But 
it seems to me that for the purposes of what it means to be bound, it's the system, maybe a group of planets if the system was like unusually big, but... Yeah, I guess that's true because there are the 10 gas giants in the Risharan yeah. system. So I just think of it so as like those the rocky might planets. not necessarily mm-hmm. be part of Odium's sort of area that he's just confined to Braze, Ashen, Rashar. <clears throat> Which makes sense to me, at least. Like we mm-hmm. have the, uh, the asteroid belt in between our rocky planets and our gas giants, and maybe yeah. that you could be bound to different areas of our (laughs) little solar system. And then there's a follow-up question that a listener slash reader asked again. So Shadesmar is only from Rashar or from the three planets? And Brandon answered that you can reach all three through Shadesmar with a much shorter trip than to any other systems. But the map is only for Rashar so far. Very interesting there because we see characters coming from other planets and if they're coming from other planets like maybe we could jump over to ashen maybe old ashen will have like a secret that they need to pick up you know from like a destroyed world or something i don't want to go to braze braze seems scary but yeah you know just go pick up something from ashen like a cool piece of fabrio technology or something bring that back to help them out we haven't really seen I don't think how it works in the cognitive realm traveling between planets. Yeah, so the only, that would be interesting to see. The only thing that comes anywhere close is what Kelsier does in Secret History when he just yeah. runs into the ocean, which would be land. Yeah, but the, he's still on the same planet. He's, he's just definitely moving to like a part of the planet he's never thought of or seen before. Until he gets to a certain point, the actual fortress that exists is on the border between it's Skadrian, yes, but it's like on the edge of whatever is not Skadrian. So basically, he's going to the very edge of the cognitive realm to get to that fortress. And that fortress is run by Elantrians, we think. Uh, so there's there's a weird haziness to what it means to move between realms that we don't really know. We just know people can do it. It would suck to walk, though. Okay, let's ask another question from Halo Alex. Quote, you've said before that soul casting can't create ATM or Laracium, which makes sense since they're made of investiture from shards. But could a soul caster, perhaps in proximity to Dalinar's perpendicularity, provide enough stormlight to soul cast something into Honor's god metal? Tenevestium? What about Cultivation's metal, or an alloy of both, like shard blade metal? Interesting question. Brandon's response. So, creating a god metal is not something that's done easily in the Cosmere. However, it is possible. You'd need a ton of investiture, and being near Dalinar's perpendicularity is unlikely to be enough. I'd say soul casting or something akin to it has the means to do this if it could obtain the proper power charge. What? Is there anything that oh we have gosh. seen that is more powerful more than Dalinar's perpendicularity? I don't, I think, don't so. think so. Unless you count nightblood but in reverse like he seems powerful but in a sucking way instead of a giving way (laughs) Um, so i don't think that we have seen anything that could do that would provide enough power to do what this questioner is asking agree but of course it has to be possible because the shards themselves do it Uh, yeah but they're shards they are they're pure investiture basically next question Back to the Heralds, infinitely fascinating Heralds, Matopsy asked, is the Heralds' madness related to and or the same thing as the Fused madness? The Stormfather mentions that each time one of the Fused is reborn, their mind is further damaged. Is it the same with the Heralds? Too many rebirths, possibly compounded by the fact that they not only often died each, de- each desolation, but were tortured until the next one? Brandon's response, quote, Yes, these two things are related. There are some hints in Rhythm of War at how Hoyd has avoided a similar fate. What? What? 
Note that the torture and the mini rebirths are a big part of this, but their age is also a factor. End quote. Okay, so I mainly put this in here Holy for the moly. Hoyt hints. Hoyt has avoided this fate of going mad, whereas things like the Heralds did not, and mm. they fell prey to this. And I'm very curious about what this means. Is Hoyd a cognitive shadow, like Kelsier refuses to, to go away? Or maybe he was at one point and has become something else now? Yeah, he certainly seems like something else. Oh, man, I think this is just so interesting. It's almost like the Heralds and then also the Fused are uh, like a copy of a copy, you yes. know? They keep dying, but yeah, every time you copy the copy it gets a little bit like worse and the edges kind of start to blur and you know you can't really see it anymore i wonder if they're like losing their connection to like their identity or something it would maybe have to do with that but brandon clearly also points out that for the heralds and the fused age is also a factor that's what i'm saying though like it's been so long you know if we took a 500-year-old piece of paper and photocopied it, it would not go well. <laughs> do not do that if you happen to have a 500-year-old piece of paper and that you need to keep that very secure. Yeah, you can't even let oxygen get to it. I you know. can put that shit in a copier. What I think is most telling about this quote, and there, we know the torture is a factor. Let's just leave out that. Yeah, for, I mean, I think that's the most obvious. Yeah, exactly. The rebirths are a big factor, but also their age. So it's like, I think there is maybe an aspect of what Brandon is hinting at here that just like, you can't be that old. Like you're not meant to be that old. Mm. In the same way the divine breath yeah. isn't meant to keep people around for more than a mm -hmm. week. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm kind of thinking about that as sort of part and parcel, like kind of all the same thing. If you take a, you know, a soul, let's say, and you keep like putting it in the washing machine, <laughs> basically, it like just gets thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner over time. It's not meant to be around for that long. Okay. Yes, that is true. But that's also just like the normal wear and tear, what you just described, the shirt in the washing machine over and over again. That's just age. Then on top of that, I come by like 500 years later and I'm like, I'm going to destroy your shirt mm, and copy. And then like re-knit it. <laughs> yes. From my memory of your shirt. And then that is, a, I think, a oh huge gosh. other part. It's a facsimile of a sham. Well said. Let's go to Nas 8 for our last question. And as I mentioned at the top, this is the one thing that does seem to come from the Rhythm of War chapters that are out right now, but the book's not out right now. Brooke, could you read this for us? Question is, what does CP4 stand for? A bunch of people on the 17th Shard were wondering about it. While you are reading Rhythm of War, I believe you will come across in the early chapters CP4 and a reference to it. Brandon's response, quote, there's nothing really exciting here, I'm afraid. It's a rank, like E6, of the American military. Only the Windrunners use these as they decided on ranks that one could earn while advancing as a squire. The old stories say that some squires never advanced to full Windrunners, and it felt it would be good to continue to promote these individuals to different ranks within squirehood. It stands for Commission Placement. End quote. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so I just wanted to give you that uh, little heads up that you may see different squires with the tag cp4 cp2 and that is just their rank in squirehood nice just us being nice that's how things work here nice little pro tip as we uh prepare to read rhythm of war now in anticipation are there any major questions about rhythm of war that if you could just ask brandon right now and he would answer right now this is not a promo. He's not actually here. Uh, COVID people, he doesn't travel. The If you could ask Brandon a question right now in the lead up to Rhythm of War, what would it be? I have I have no questions, really. I'm just, I'm a wait and see 
kind of girl. I'll raffo. I'll raffo all day. <laughs> if it involves reading, I can do it. Yeah. I learned that skill. <laughs> okay, what I really want more information about is what happened to Yasna as a young girl. And I put this out there for all of you. We talked about it in our Oathbringer episodes. Something, some trauma happened to Yasna and she was like put away like in an insane asylum or something. Very little we know about it right now, but I would probably ask that leading up to Rhythm of War. Even if it's answered in some way in Rhythm of War, I would want Brennan to give me a little heads up on what's coming with Yasna and her past. What about you? Let us know on Facebook or Reddit, Twitter, email, snail mail, anything? Snail mail. <laughs> we do have a couple more episodes planned for this lead up to Rhythm of War. Uh, definitely as soon as we can get our hands on it, we will do a Dawn Shard episode. I think that is still in production, has not come out yet, unfortunately. Fingers crossed that we'll get it before Rhythm of War. Until next time, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination. Mm -hmm.